Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> You're listening. Oh. Right. You're, You're listening, listening to. <laughs> You're listening to discourse. 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 From, from from NPR. NPR. Amaranek Public Radio. Just a quick note before we get started. This piece was written before the Russian invasion of Ukraine began. At this point in time, it remains unclear if Russia's threats to pull out of the space station program hold any weight. We should all pray Russia's actions do not undermine their incredible contributions to human spaceflight. Space, well vast, is full of mostly nothing. A stray hydrogen atom wisps through what's otherwise an empty void full of inky blackness. Except, that is, for the bustling international hub that is the International Space Station. I want you to imagine that far above our heads is a giant metal tube that has had people living on it continuously since the year 2000. This tiny metal tube represents an ungodly amount of human innovation and engineering prowess, and serves as a permanent monument to the world's quest for knowledge. The ISS program began back in 1984 as a part of the space race during the Cold War, when Reagan decided that the U.S. needed a permanent base of operation in space for his Star Wars missile defense system concept. While the defense system was quickly dropped, NASA continued to work on the station and soon invited Canada, Japan, and the European Space Agency to work on the project together in 1988. Five years later, President Clinton formally invited Russia and their space program Roscosmos, longtime enemies of the U.S., to join the alliance. Moves like this served to further decrease tensions from the space race and Cold War. Russia brought along not only its experience with long-duration spaceflight research, but also the already designed modules of the Mir-2 space station, which would eventually become Russia's command module on the ISS. I distinctly remember sitting on my couch in late May of 2020, during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Just 10 weeks before, I was in school with my friends, casually chatting and joking about the new novel virus that had exploded in the nearby White Plains Hospital. Just a few short days later, we were all thrust into our own worlds as the virus raged on outside. As remote asynchronous schoolwork dragged on and the days became monotonous, watching space launches became a welcome escape from the mundane. The YouTube algorithm noticed that I'd clicked through a few space videos, and thus decided that I'd consume nothing but space content for the next few months. Watching the rockets soar into the sky gave me an escape from being trapped in my own little world for weeks on end. But anyway, on this specific day, I was tuning in to watch the SpaceX livestream of the Demo 2 mission launching from LC-39A in Cape Canaveral. I had woken up at 6am to catch the start of the stream, and had only gotten up to cook breakfast, though I was still watching on my phone that entire time. Doug Hurley and Robert Benkin, the two crew members of the demo mission, were both seasoned engineers and pilots who were selected to be the first crew to man the previously uncrewed Dragon capsule. For the first time in over a decade, U.S. astronauts would be launching from U.S. soil on a U.S.-made rocket. 
since the end of the shuttle program with STS-135 in 2011. The state's been using Russian Soyuz rockets and capsules to send their astronauts to work on orbit, an alliance that was often shaken by the geopolitical squabbles between the two countries. These glorified Soviet-era missiles were NASA's ticket to space for over a decade, thus forcing a shaky truce between them and Roscosmos. The feeling of watching a rocket take off is truly indescribable, but I'm going to do my best. Watching a 600-ton rocket begin to shake and shudder as it severs its umbilicals and prepares for forward flight is like watching a dragon begin to stir and wake from its slumber. The creaks and groans of the super-chilled rocket engines contracting from the cold are deafening. As the countdown approaches, the cacophony of sounds is overwhelming. And then, it's silent. For a second or two, there's absolutely no sound apart from the countdown clock pings. You could hear a pin drop. But the rocket roars to life anyway, unleashing its tremendous firepower and thrusting upwards into the sky as the ground arm falls away. A lumbering giant, the platform climbs slower than you think something with such gargantuan plumes of flame and billowing clouds of smoke coming out the bottom should. Before you know it, the rocket is hurtling through space at an unimaginable speed. Just 90 seconds after launch, SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket is traveling at over 1,500 miles per hour. Two minutes and 45 seconds into the launch, the rocket experiences MECO, or main engine cutoff, where the first stage powers down and falls back to Earth as the second stage continues to accelerate the latest crew of astronauts towards their new home for the next six to eight months. It's amazing to watch the camera on the second stage focus down on our little blue marble floating below the rocket in the void of space. It helps put in perspective how small all of my day-to-day trials and tribulations are. The worries about that test I have coming up, or an internship interview, are washed away when I can gaze down on our pale blue dot from the live feed of the second stage as it hurtles into orbit. Even today, the space station and its associated international programs are a testament to human cooperativity. As of December 2021, 251 astronauts, cosmonauts, and scientists from 19 different countries have worked on the station. Representatives from the United States, Russia, Japan, Canada, Italy, France, Brazil, and Germany regularly spend time on station, working collaboratively on projects sent by researchers and students from around the globe. The station is surprisingly robust politically as well. Russia and China have threatened numerous times to leave the station over sanctions imposed on them by the U.S. government, opting instead to build and launch their own stations. Good luck with that. That being said, these countries have decided to remain on station at least until it's retired and deorbited into the Pacific Ocean in 2031. More than 2,400 experiments have been conducted on station by over 100 countries. Research conducted on the space station has likely touched your everyday life, and I know it's touched mine. Most famously, Velcro was perfected by NASA for use in astronaut flight suits in order to keep checklists and pens attached but easily accessible so that they don't float away in space. NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory is responsible for developing numerous items for space travel that have made their way into everyday life for billions of people. The Humble Camera Phone was originally designed by a joint group of American and Canadian researchers as they needed cameras small and light enough to place all over a spacecraft that could still gather high-quality photos. Imagine life without your iPhone camera. 
Those itty bitty sensors in the front of your phone have captured far more pictures than many larger traditional cameras due to their miniature size. And without space travel, they would have never existed. The amount of memories I've captured using my phone cameras I would not have otherwise gotten if I did not have a miniature DSLR in my pocket is uncountable. The Lewis Flight Research Center, in their pursuit of glass that was resistant to hits from stray particles or space junk, created a scratch-resistant coating that's now used in phone screens and sunglasses the world over. Imagine how annoying it would be if every little ding or scratch on your glasses or phone screen left a deep scar. Inventions like this have shaped the way we interact with our surroundings without us even thinking about it. Even the humble LED, the small lights in almost every electronic device, were designed for use in greenhouses in space and to stimulate healing of skin injuries while on orbit. The station itself is a monument to human achievement. The 356-foot-wide station comprises a multitude of modules, 7 U.S., 4 EU, 1 Italian, and 6 Russian, to be exact. Canada provides the creatively named Canada Arm, a massive 50-foot robotic arm used by the space shuttle to install modules on the station, and there's one mounted directly to the station in order to aid in spacewalks and docking of new craft. All visitors to the station live in close quarters and work alongside each other. It continues to amaze me that Americans and Russians, two groups that have typically not been on the best of terms down here on terra firma, are forced to spend months within a few hundred feet of each other in pursuit of knowledge that will benefit the world as a whole, not just their respective countries. Something about this collaboration really sticks with me. The fact that humanity's quest for knowledge about our universe and life back here on Earth unites the longest of enemies behind one common goal is awe-inspiring. There's a website I frequent called spacedashboard.com that aggregates loads of data about the space station, its inhabitants, and its camera network. Looking down on the world below and seeing how small everything looks on our pale blue Earth really helps put a sense of scale on how small everyday political squabbles or tribulations truly are. Every few days, when the ISS orbit lines up over Mamaroneck, New York, my hometown, my phone reminds me to look up at the sky and think about the incredible cooperation and engineering prowess on display. Not from America, Russia, or Europe, but from the entire world. Humanity's ultimate brag to the heavens. I give the ISS four and a half stars. Thank you.